Mindfulness Mode 196. I just think about what is it that I want to create and how do I want to feel and then literally just journal about it and not worry too much about the, the can'ts. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Mindful Tribe, I'm looking for ways I can improve my show, so I'd like to ask you a favor. Would you think about what you like most about the show and also any suggestions for changes you might like? I'll be putting up a short survey about how I can make my show better, so stay tuned for more details. I'll get back to you with that. Thanks a lot. Last time on Mindfulness Mode, I interviewed a man who is passionate about health and happiness, to the point that he's healed some very serious illnesses. Check out Donnie DeSanti on episode 194 to hear more details. Mindful Tribe, just before I spoke at PodFest Multimedia Expo in Orlando last week, I interviewed today's guest, who was the opening keynote speaker at the event. She's a self-proclaimed introvert, but we were able to delve into her childhood and early life experiences, and she offered loads of advice on how to live a mindful life. She's extremely generous and has much to share about mindfulness in its natural form. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with the amazing Esther Kiss. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm so excited I have Esther Kiss on the line today. Hey, Esther, are you in mindfulness mode? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Esther Kiss works in the field of marketing and publicity, where she helps experts and personal brands get exposure. She uses elements of mindfulness to be a true connector of people. And I've seen that firsthand. She is a founder of a one of a kind agency called Born to Influence, and she's co founder of Strategic Influence. Esther gets her clients on traditional TV, radio, newspapers, and magazines, as well as online telesummits, podcasts, large publications, and many more. Esther has interviewed Gary Vanderchuk, Perry Marshall, and many others for her own show, Born to Influence the marketing show. So Esther, what does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness to me means approaching a situation or a person with compassion in mind and considering how can you help them and furthering their goals rather than coming from a very selfish or tit-for-tat type of perspective. The biggest thing is to what I call play the reverse mafia game, you know, look at it from a perspective of, of uh, how can I do you a favor rather than how can you help me? And you know how with the mafia, they always say that I will do you something, but then you kind of owe me for life. You want to turn the tables around and see how can you help others and leading with a spirit of generosity and giving is the biggest factor. Well, and I think that's how you come across, you know, when I'm, when I've met you, you are so much the connector that, that you just feel like you really truly care and how can you help me and that kind of thing. Has that always been your way, Esther? Well, part of it is definitely in born, you know, it, it's something mm-hmm. that is in my character, but part of it is also being intentional about it and being proactive about it. I 
haven't I've, I've always been very shy and very very introverted and I still am to, to this day I'm happy not to leave the house for days you know but uh-huh. I read a book a few years ago called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi and it completely changed my life it's it's really that work is about connecting with others about networking but setting up yourself for a situation where you're allowing other people to help you. And the way that happens is that you give first and you give and give and give as much as possible. And so when I started my business, that was one of the number one things that I set out as an intention and something that I took daily action on is start developing relationships with very high level influencers and um, successful entrepreneurs, New York Times bestselling authors, people who I want it to be connected with. And those types of people are being pitched all the time. They are getting requests all day long, every day. So for me to stand out, the the only way to do that and the way that felt good to me was to actually give and contribute to them and to their goals. And so what are some of the ways you did begin to give specifically? The biggest one was to start a podcast, Born to Influence, with my good friend, uh, Meta Miller. We especially started it with the idea to start developing relationships with these types of influencers. And, you know, with Gary Vaynerchuk and, and everybody who you mentioned earlier in, to, in the introduction, the, the plan was to to start developing relationships. It, of course, we wanted to do an interview, but that was part of the give, right? Because we would know that there is this person who has a new coaching program or a new book coming out or they have a new conference that they're promoting. And so giving them a platform and giving them an opportunity to share their expertise and their stories and at the same time mention what they have coming up was actually helping them accomplish their goals. So that was number one. And number two, then always ask after we would do the interview, I would stop the recording and say that, hey, how do you feel? And that question opens up so much. They can tell you all kinds of things that they wish they had shared in the interview or other ways of working on other projects where we can collaborate. For me, it ended up being booking them on other people's shows, which eventually turned into a business. So just being open and asking open-ended questions will give you clues on how you can help other people. But beyond the podcast, there were there are quite a few other things that I do on a regular basis. Things like, you know, setting up a conversation with someone who I'm meeting for the first time. Um, let's say we connected on Facebook or, or somewhere at a dinner party. I get them on a meeting either on Skype or on, um, or on the phone, and I find out about them, what inspires them. Why did they start this business? How does this particular thing that they're working on fit into their overall business strategy? And then personal things as well. You know, where do they live? What? How many kids do they have? What kind of pets do they have? And then connecting with them on a personal level too and finding out where are some things where I can help them. Whether it's, you know, sending them an article that I read that would be relevant to research that they're doing. Maybe they're doing a speaking gig in a new town and I can recommend a restaurant there. Anything like that, that would just make them smile. Well, and I smile because I know that on your bio, you say that you have three cats and your cats are really important to you. I have two cats and I just finished a course with you where you just revealed so much information about how to brand yourself and how to, to put yourself out there to, to the media and to big uh, companies. And it was so helpful, Esther, what you shared on that 
program, but I know that you work in a program called Strategic Influence in collaboration with your business partner, John Dennis. You teach a unique process for developing influential personal brands. Would you be able to share with Mindful Tribe some key points in that process? Yeah, the strategic influence framework is based on three things that you really need to have in place in order to build an influential personal brand. And they are credibility, celebrity, and leads and sales. And very often we think about publicity and putting your name out there and getting as much attention as possible um, as the drivers for creating fame, quote-unquote fame, whatever that means for you in your particular situation. And often we think that fame equals also riches. And automatically money will come when you just do enough publicity or do enough webinars or whatever social media posts that you think that you need to be doing. And unless you have these three keys, the celebrity, the credibility, and leads and sales, it's just not going to work. So you really have to think put the two parts together, the fame side and the business side, you need to have a way to make sure that that attention converts into leads and sales. And so you got to be, first of all, friends with high level people. So everything that we talked about up to now, right? Uh, developing those relationships with high level influencers, with the A players in your industry. Number two is to be regularly featured in the media, whether it's podcasts or magazines or TV, whatever makes sense for your target market. And then number three is to have your own platform, whether it's a podcast or your email list, a blog, a book, anything where you can lead people towards so that later you have permission to market to them. That's that's really interesting. Those those pillars are really important. Credibility, celebrity, leads and sales. And yes, I I've found that I've really been able to meet a lot of a lot of terrific people through the podcast that I have and and influencers for sure. So that is really good to know that that's how that's based. And I wanted to talk to you about branding and storytelling. I know that on your show, Nick Nanton said branding is basically just storytelling. (laughs) Do you agree with that? And if so, can you elaborate on that? Branding starts with storytelling for sure, because people need to know what you stand for and what you stand against. It's also storytelling from the perspective of sharing your own story and your own um, story of transformation or what you have accomplished so far, whatever is relevant to your audience. And beyond that, it's also a comprehensive look and feel of who you are, meaning the visuals are, there is a consistent color scheme, a certain way you dress, a certain way you present yourself, the type of words you use, because there are so many people who we are talking about mindfulness here, who are, who, especially in the coaching space, who pride themselves on, quote unquote, being unfiltered. And it goes a little bit beyond being authentic, which is a little bit of a buzzword these days, but basically, you know, showing your personality and not hiding things and and showing truly who you are. But I've noticed that there is a, a segment of the coaching population who maybe takes it a little too far and they deliberately insert cuss words consistently, Mm. you know, just, just 
just to show that they need, don't need to abide by anyone else's rules. And it's fine to do that on your own platform. And if that's the audience who you're looking uh, to attract. And like, for example, Gary is a great example, right? Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm -hmm. I don't think he does it deliberately. It's just his language. He right. uses F-bombs all the time. But that's something that for someone who is not quite that famous yet, it actually can be very harmful. Uh, I've had clients like that who who speak in a potty mouth way, and we had trouble sometimes, you know, with mainstream media in particular, with TV and radio, because they're just concerned: is this person gonna speak like this on my show? Sure. And then we would have to have a whole conversation. No, they know they're media trained; <laughs> they know exactly how not to do that. So that's you know, mindfulness comes down to your communication skills as well, and what kind of vocabulary and approach you're using when you're connecting with your audience. Yes. I've certainly found that with guests too, that, that, you know, I have to be careful because I, I want to make sure that my audience, I know what they're expecting and I want them to receive what they're expecting. But sometimes, you know, there might be an edginess to some of my guests. And so that has happened to me. So storytelling, tell me how you, being such a quiet, shy person, introverted person as you describe how did you come to grips with sharing your story it was very difficult was it? <laughs> because i had to make a conscious decision that okay it's time to get over myself because mm -hmm. i'm really doing a disservice to my audience if i don't share my knowledge if i actually want to do this for real in terms of coaching and doing courses like the publicity crash course that you've been a student of right. and courses like that, it's important for me to actually show up on social media and to be interviewed myself consistently. Now, I'm in a little bit of a unique situation in that, that I get a lot of media opportunities simply because of the nature of the work that I do for my clients, because I get them on the media. And sometimes people ask that, hey, can we interview you too? Right. Sure. But uh, it, it was a thing where I really preferred for the longest time to be in the background and to get the attention for my clients, for other people, but not so much for myself. Right. And then when I decided to grow the business on the coaching side and quote unquote, build a personal brand for myself as well, it was a choice that, okay, it's time for me to actually step out a little bit also. So could you share a little bit of your story? You grew up in Hungary, is that right? And and when did you, when did you start... Uh, living in the different countries, and then you came to California. I'm fascinated. It was very much like a treasure hunt, going from queue to queue. <laughs> Not a big strategic plan ahead of time. But I was born in Hungary, and I grew up there for until age 12, and then go back and forth between Hungary and Romania for the following four years, and then finally back to Hungary when I was in high school. And then as soon as I finished, I moved to Malta, which is a tiny, tiny little island uh, just below Sicily in the Mediterranean. And then I moved to France and Belgium and Holland. And then finally, I ended up in California. And there was always a big reason. There was always either family or studies or business. There was something that required me to move rather than okay, I just want to go and explore. Now with that, I've, I've traveled a lot as well. I've been in over 20 countries and it's something that I really, really enjoy. But it was just so interesting to see the, the different approach that people have to connecting with one another, to always being put into a brand new environment where you don't have anyone for you, right? No friends, no nothing in the beginning to basically start from scratch. And um, 
when I moved here to, to California seven years ago, it was with the intention to go to an acting school, which I did for two years, uh, you know, an acting conservatory, right. did a few years of movies that nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> you know how they always say that out of work actors are always waiters? <laughs> yes. Well, I, I really, really didn't want to do that. So yeah. I thought, okay, well, I have my background in business and marketing and investment. So I'll just do that. I'll wake up really early in the morning. LA is three hours behind New York. So I can just wake up at 5.30 and read the news, see what's going on, and then do day trading, stock trading online. Oh, yes. And so that's what I did. And, you know, by 9 or 10, I would be free. I would be done for the day and available for auditions or school or filming, whatever was going on that day. And it was all good and well until the recession hit. And then oh. I was like, oh, no. Really? <laughs> what am yes. I going to do now? Yeah. And so that that's when I um, shifted. Okay, I have to go back to my roots in business. I really have to get some clients. And initially, I was doing whatever I could, you know, teaching Hungarian, doing uh, quality control for the subtitles in the movies for Technicolor and like all the big blockbuster movies, like mm -hmm. everything that I could possibly do to to keep things going. And then I started and I ended up getting a job at um 1928, which is the largest um, fashion jewelry company in, in the country. I was their director of marketing. Oh. And then meanwhile, on the side, I started coaching, marketing coaching, and then also doing uh, the podcast, Born to Influence. And that's how it evolved to where it is today, where I connected with all these influencers and entrepreneurs, and eventually it turned into a publicity services business. Well, I noticed Gary Vaynerchuk is one of your first guests. Can you tell us how you connected with him and how he ended up being one of your first guests? Yeah, I connected with Gary a little over three years ago because I knew that he had a book coming out, the Jab, 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 Right Hook book. Right. He was very public about doing any and every interview he possibly could during that year. Right. So I reached out to him and I said, hey, I would love to interview you on my show. And at the time, we didn't even have it published yet. There was no website, no iTunes page, nothing, right? right. But I moved out. Uh, I reached out to him a couple of months before it was due to be published. So I knew that he was looking for the pre-orders to make the New York Times list. And so I reached out way ahead of time and said that we have this show. These are a few of the people who already committed mm -hmm. to be on the show. And they also offered that they will in that they will promote their episodes. So this is how many people we are looking to reach initially to, to get the word out to initially. And that was based on the numbers of the collective lists and social media followings of the people who committed to, to promoting, as well as our advertising budget. So I was legitimately able to give him a number for how many people would actually see this episode before we even published the show. And that way, uh, it helped him because he knew that there was a legitimate platform, even though it wasn't published online yet and right. it was helping him reach a goal which was for him the big goal was to get this book on the new york times list of course yeah that makes perfect sense well you've lived in six european countries so you've experienced different cultures and i wonder if you could share with us how you feel mindfulness varies in those different cultures i mean some of the tools we use whether it be meditation or journaling do you notice differences in how people use mindfulness? One thing I noticed is the more south you go, the warmer people are. They have that Italian type of, you know, very welcoming, very family-oriented approach. Like, for example, when I lived in Malta, it's, it's its own country, but it certainly has a little bit of an Italian influence. Mm -hmm. And so people are very, very... Um, 
welcoming and they will have you over at their house, make lunch for you, make dinner. You know, there is always feeding going on. Uh, just very, very kind. The same in the Eastern European countries as well. What I noticed in, in the northern or northwest side of Europe, like Belgium and Holland, it's a little bit more of an arm's length distance. Mm-hmm. So there it's incredibly important when you want to express mindfulness to to play by those rules and with the language that you use, with the body language as well as your your words. So, for example, using the formal form, like uh, we don't really have a difference in English for that, right? The you is you both in the formal and the informal way. Yes. But if you were to speak French or, or uh, Spanish, you would know that the actual conjugation of the verbs are different based on the relationship that you have with the person. I guess in English, the closest comparison would be, are you calling somebody by Mr. or Mrs. and their last name? Or are you on a first name basis? Right. Right. So uh, in, in some of those countries, it's I noticed that, that it's very important to express respect by having a little bit of a, of a formal relationship initially, and they, they feel like they warmed up to you where you have a closer uh, connection. Right, yeah. I noticed there are so many differences, and in some cultures it's it's so respectful to, you know, call a man, sir, and other people might feel that's a little off-putting, you know, there's somebody have them call them, sir. (laughs) I mentioned, I mentioned journaling and I just wondered, Esther, if journaling is a part of your life and you, if you see it as a mindfulness piece. It, it is definitely part of my life. And I, I have been journaling for a few years on and off. R- these last few months, I've been really, really consistent with it, where I try to make it into a daily practice. But initially, I started with just writing down the stuff that happened. So stuff that was in the past, almost like a diary. Mm-hmm. And then I read uh, Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, which is more of a clearing out your mind and just the stream of consciousness of writing three pages a day first thing in the morning to get rid of the clutter that's going on in your head. And that worked really well and is great for for creative professionals. But what I do these days is more creation based. So what do I want to accomplish in my life? What are some of the goals that I have, whether it's, you know, business goals or personal or health or anything like that. And then writing it down in terms of as if it already has happened. Like I'm so happy and grateful that you know, I live in my dream home or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or as if it's happening right now, like it's a daily practice. Like I always have time for all the things that matter to me and more, things like that. So to to really ingrain almost like an affirmation in your mind, the stuff that you want to create. Very interesting. And I wonder about meditation. Is that part of your life, Esther? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. So I do have a few audio meditations that I like to listen to. And one of them in particular is designed that it's okay if you fall asleep. So okay. I actually use that. I use that to be able to fall asleep with that because just my sleep is like all over the place okay. normally. And I I haven't found, I tried quite a few times uh, to meditate where it's just sitting quietly and getting the, you know, into that space where you have that emptiness between thoughts, yes. it just hasn't worked for me at all. Like I, I, my brain is always working, so it didn't work with me. The guided audio meditations, I really, really enjoy them. So is your sleep all over the place because of all the traveling you do, you think? 
a part of it is that part of it is that I'm a late, you know, like a, what do you call it? Night owl by right. nature, but then I'm an early bird right. <laughs> by habit. So I do wake up at four 30 every day, no matter how little or, or how much I slept before. So every few days I will crash. And part of it too, is that I have clients all over the world. So some of them, they, you know, if they're in Australia or Bali or right. wherever, the time difference is so big. I feel like I really have to check early, early in the morning, just in case if there was an interview cancellation or something like that, so that I can step in in case something needs to be set up right before they, before the day really starts for them. Right. Right. I'd like to go back to childhood in Hungary. And I know that you've said you're an introvert, but I wonder as a child, do you remember yourself being a connector? Do you remember yourself, you know, bringing people together, bringing friends together. What were you like as a child, Esther? Terribly shy. I would never <laughs> think of going to do people. <laughs> I, I used to be a performer, so my parents always made me, you know, read the books out loud, and they would do the singing, and they would tape me and do the little performances for my family and family friends. But as far as my own friends at school, I mean, beyond any basic birthday parties, I, I was definitely one of those kids who was very happy to be a bookworm and not talk to anyone. (laughs) And then you became an actor. And I know that different actors have told me that there's a very mindful piece to that. They need to get focused a certain way. But what about you? Did you find you needed to use mindfulness to get focused and centered in your acting roles? Mindfulness is an incredibly important part of acting. You got to be able to identify with the character that you're going to play and bring your own true emotions to it, but in a way that it would be applicable to the person who had different life experiences than you. That's one part of it. And the other part too is that you're going to have the same scene played out multiple times because you're rehearsing, you might be filming it and there are different camera angles. So you might be doing it 50, 60 times, or even if you're doing theater, like every night is the same story. But if you're doing it sort of an autopilot, like absentmindedly, right, not being mindful, that shows. That feels fake and it feels like, okay, this person is kind of a robot. (laughs) It's just not enjoyable for the audience. So you really have to tap in and be truly present and receive the other person and their body language and whatever they're saying to you, whatever events are happening in that scene as if it's happening for the first time so that your reactions and the things that you're saying and the body language that you're showing is something that's coming from a true place. Now, you you probably have done acting when you spoke Hungarian and English. I'm wondering, was it difficult to speak English as an actor compared to speaking Hungarian? I started acting professionally in L.A., so that was always in English. Okay. They little bits that I would say that were done in Hungarian was the poetry recital competitions and things like that, that I did as a child or, you know, uh, performances at home, but that wasn't professional acting. Actually, it was one of the biggest things that I thought that I couldn't do for the longest time because I thought that my English was not good enough. So I went through college, four years of business school in English and lived in an English speaking country for several years. And even then I thought, okay, well, I'm not good enough to be an actor just because of the language skills. And then one day I was like, okay, if not now, then whenever, <laughs> when? so let's right. just go and move to LA and see what we can do. <laughs> right. Right. And 
like your English is excellent as far as I'm concerned. I mean, obviously you have an accent, but I think that somehow just, just adds to who you are. That's part of your story and, and part of authentically who you are. Thank you. It's, it's a really interesting dynamic because uh, a lot of roles are written specifically for people who are who have a certain type of accent and so right. they're looking not just for the look, but for actually people who speak that language or who genuinely can can perform with that accent. But at the same time, for any of the other roles that are not specifically meant to be played by foreigners, uh, ac- having an accent can be a drawback. Sure. So, you know, like the girl next door or whatever mm-hmm. role you want to play, unless they, the part of the story is that they are an immigrant. It usually is not kind looked up unkindly if you, if the actor happens to have an accent. So that was a huge part uh, part of the deal for me to take accent classes and like for years and years every day. And it's gotten a lot better, but you still can hear it. And I think it, part of it has to do with how old you are when you first start speaking the language and and also if English is your first language or not. Because, for example, for Canadians or Australians, for for people from England, it's a little bit easier to pick up the American accent than for people who have a, a subtle way of, of saying all the sounds differently. Like, for instance, if you're French or German or any other language that is your first language. Right. Esther, a lot of people, when we talk about mindfulness, they talk about the voices in their head, the voices in their head that are pulling them back or, or maybe sabotaging them. Have you ever had that happen? And could you comment on that for Mindful Tribe? I always have that little voice that, oh, you can't do this because of this. <laughs> you yeah. know? But I write it out. I, I just think about what is it that I want to create and how do I want to feel? And then literally just journal about it and not worry too much about the the can'ts. I used to be someone who was so incredibly not confident and, and it held me back in a lot of ways. But ever since I made a conscious decision and I actually genuinely believe for, for all of us, whatever you put your mind to, you can accomplish. So wasting your energy and on, on the little things that, oh, what if this, what if that, like all the little worries is just taking away from the productive and creative energies that you could put towards actually taking action and accomplishing those goals. So I like to write it out. I just write it from the perspective of what if it has happened already and also writing out for yourself, like what kind of person do you want to be? Ideally, you have this one day version of you who is always confident, who is outgoing, who is vibrant, who is a happy person, who juices every day, like whatever those those, uh, habits are that you think that your ideal version has. Just think about, okay, what is the point of view to life of that ideal version of me and start acting from that place? I love that advice. That's excellent. I'm wondering, Esther, if you use habit consciously in your life to help you achieve your goals and reach successes. Yes. Uh, Do you know uh, or are you familiar with the notion of high frequency vibrations versus low frequency? Yes, very much so. Okay, so you know how we always want to say that well, high frequency attracts all the good stuff for you, the high yes. vibrations. So I literally have reminders on my phone that almost every hour it goes off and it just says that tap into high levels of energy. Uh-huh. And there is no magical ritual to it. Just even just seeing that little reminder for me is like, oh yeah, if I'm happy and grateful, consciously grateful towards things, then 
automatically my mood elevates and therefore everything that I've been blocking by being less than happy or less than grateful disappears. And so now the abundance and the flow starts to flow again. Wow. That's, that's impressive. That's impressive. Do you have morning routines that you could share with us, which might tie in with your mindfulness? The one thing that I, uh, well, I can't say it's every day yet, but that's definitely one of my goals is to journal in the morning. Right. And that's something that I found sets my day up right. So I like to put myself into a really, really good mood. If I don't feel like writing or if I don't have the time, then, or if I'm traveling, what I like to do is to put on a YouTube playlist that I call my hustle playlist. Okay. And it has all the good, cheerful music that actually always, always puts me in a good mood. Super. Esther, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Probably Keith Ferrazzi, the author of uh, Never Eat Alone. Okay. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? It made me incredibly more being conscious of of being grateful for things and being more high vibe. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Breathing is part of the meditation, um, the audio meditation that I use when I'm uh, trying to calm down and go to sleep. If you could, I know you've recommended a number of books, but if you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that be? Probably The Four Agreements by uh, Miguel Ruiz. I love that book. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? It's just my alarm clock and putting the reminders there that you know, to tap into high level of energy. It's a very simple app. Everybody has it on their phone. That's really, really been helpful to me. What advice would you give to a person, Esther, who has not been able to bring very much mindfulness into their life, but they really want to ad adapt that to their life? Think about how do you want to feel and who do you want to be and what you want to create in your life. Just focus on those goals and start making a list of up to 100 of the things that you want to be and do and have. Like really, really go nuts and, and brainstorm everything and then pick your top 10 to 15 that are priorities for you and see how you can be mindful around that, focus on that every day and, and commit to actions, the, the actions that you'll do to actually accomplish those goals. Great advice. Esther, it has really been enjoyable chatting with you today. I know that I'll be seeing you in a few days at PodFest in Orlando. That's really exciting. I know you're speaking there. Can't wait to hear. But how can Mindful Tribe connect with you and learn more about what you do, Esther? You can connect with me at borntoinfluence.com. That's my main website. And if you're interested in the publicity side of things, I do have a free media positioning checklist that is actually goes hand in hand with a lot of what we talked about here with making yourself, putting yourself in the other person's shoes and figuring out how you can position yourself in a way that members of the media want to interview you. So you have a compelling bio, the great headshots, lead magnets that convert in your interviews, all those good things. And you can get that at borntoinfluence.com forward slash gift. Perfect. Perfect. That's very generous of you, Esther. Thank you so much for being on the show. I look forward to seeing you soon. All the best to you. Thank you. Bye. 
Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.